Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Behind Growth Scenes, video podcasts featuring industry leaders. In this show, we invite top marketers and experts to give you a behind-the-scenes look at the ideas and strategies that organizations are using to succeed in today's hyper-competitive world. Today, we are in conversation with Daryl Williams, who is the founder of Growth Hack Guides and also has more than a decade of experience in digital marketing. In this episode, Daryl talks about Hicks Law and explains how you might be confusing your customers with too many choices. This episode was originally recorded as a webinar and is now being presented as a video podcast. During the episode, Daryl therefore refers to a presentation while explaining certain ideas. Also, hit the follow button so that you never miss out on an episode from Behind Growth Scenes. So without any further delay, let's get right into it and understand how you can use Hicks Law to boost CRO performance. Awesome. Well, thank you again um, to BWO for just giving me this amazing opportunity. So Hicks Law is a UX design principle, but also a psychological principle as well that I'm going to really dive into and really talk very in depth about and how you can actually utilize this to be able to increase your conversion rates and just all together have a better user experience for whatever vertical that you happen to be in. So what is Hicks Law? Hicks Law was um, a theory, a concept um, that was invented by William Edmund Hick, right? So the simple statement and the, the way to go about understanding this is that the time it takes to make a decision increases as the number of alternatives increases. Alternatives are that of choices. Anytime anybody would come to your site, no matter what vertical you're in, they have a lot of different alternatives slash choices. And it's very, very crucial to be able to prioritize certain things that are um, of the highest importance and eliminate those certain distractions. Because as the law states, um, the more certain alternatives and choices that you have, the less you're going to actually have the immediate action, hence conversion, take place on your website. So this is the actual formula that was created by William Edmund Hick. So essentially what this formula breaks down is that the response time is going to be equivalent to the time in the decision-making process and the cognitive processing time per option that's offered and then the number of alternatives that are offered. Um, and then that log is, uh, for all my math nerds, it's logarithmic. Um, it's a specific mathematical equation for value. Um, but essentially, you can find all these different metrics to plug in to be able to calculate your response time um, by simple analytics metrics that you can get that directive from. Time not involved in, in decision-making, you can leverage analytics from the next page path, how long it takes from people to actually go and navigate to a certain, at a certain area of your web, website. Um, the cognitive processing time, you can actually use certain things like events to be able to calculate how many times people actually clicked on a button to lead into the page and number of alternatives is just as simple as how many different options that you're actually offering, uh, whether it be a lead form or different aspects throughout your website. So what exactly is cognitive load? As you can see, it was in that equation um, that I just showed you and I prefaced my initial um, statements by saying that it's a very crucial element to, um, to, to adhere to Hicks law. But what exactly is that? So cognitive load, 
a simple as a simple statement cognitive load is being overwhelmed with specific um, options and the cognitive load creates what they call cognitive barriers and there's three differentiated aspects that i'll dive in more into after this initial slide but as you can see with this example it's the number of steps expected to take that's a cognitive barrier right all three of these different users that are shown here is they want to perform a specific action just like when they navigate into your site they want to perform a certain action but you have certain cognitive barriers um, the number of steps it takes to achieve it the perceived length of each step perceived difficulty of each step all cognitive barriers that can cause a bottleneck when you're trying to get users to convert um, and then that leads into that cognitive load, right? Number of choices I have, the amount of thought required to make that certain decision and confusion of different distractions. There's a ton of ads that can be on site. There's certain distracting elements um, that all equate into being that of a cognitive load on a user. So I said that I was gonna go into more detail about the cognitive load, and I just talked about the three different users there, but it's actually a classification um, that they have towards cognitive load that is that's uh, all differentiated. So you have intrinsic cognitive load, the complexity of new information, the germane um, cognitive load, deep processing of new information. These are users that are gonna look at all the different options. They're gonna try and process things as soon as possible. Um, versus the intrinsic co cognitive load, um, it's just going to be more complexity that they, they don't necessarily know where to start. And then you have extraneous uh, cognitive load where people are getting distracted by the specific elements that I mentioned as well. So what does the typical user experience look like when cognitive load occurs? So as you can see from this chart, as time goes up, just like the Hicks law state, as the time goes up and the choices increase, you have that sliding scale of where you see the user experience go from happy from the time less time involved and minimum choices that are given into somewhat happy into being annoyed to being angered to being absolutely livid so this graph actually speaks perfectly to what i'm trying to communicate here and i've definitely seen it um, working with a variety of clients um, quantified through analytics and certain actions that we tried to rectify um, and this is definitely a crucial element as it pertains to um, making sure that you adhere into that lower scale to where you make that user happy. You're just offering the right amount of choices to get them towards um, that conversion-based goal. So how do you avoid cognitive load? So three simple concepts, reduce, simplify, and maximize. So reduction doesn't necessarily coincide with simplify. Just because you reduce certain things doesn't necessarily mean that you're simplifying things. I'm sure you've seen a lot of different forms and maybe the way certain uh, forms may reduce it, but it's not necessarily simplifying it if those choices aren't necessarily needed or not important towards a conversion goal. And maximizes, maximizing your output from initially taking those two first steps to reduce certain elements, but mostly simplifying certain things that you need to prioritize and actually make of importance and not necessarily have um, more form fields or certain aspects or elements on your website that don't necessarily lead to a conversion action. So with that said, what most companies do, this is an example here, and um, just as the, it was prefaced leading into this um, presentation um, in this conversation, um, would love the interactivity questions asked about this. 
But this is a form from ASOS, a very huge retailer on, online that sells um, uh, male clothing and female clothing, very big uh, retailer. Um, and this is one singular form that I split out just to put on the presentation so it can be clear. Um, so with that said, I'm gonna just ask a brief question. Can you spot what's wrong with this form as it relates into this topic of Hicks Law? Obviously you see a lot of options on this form. This form is just to join um, and sign up for an account. There may be some type of incentive on the, on the website to get people towards this page, but essentially when you're actually on this page, you see three different things um, that are asked, right? You have Google, you have Apple, and you have Facebook, and they're all different third-party platforms to sign up, right? And then you have um, an option to sign up through email where they ask for an email, your first name, your last name, a password, your date of birth, um, what you're mostly interested in buying to try to segment the audience towards female versus male, um, your contact preferences um, for discounts, uh, new stuff, exclusive, ASO partners, um, and then you're given that initial CTA to actually go on to create that conversion action for this specific company. So I asked the initial question of what can you spot what's wrong with this form, but I'm going to just go out and tell you. So essentially what starts out as two different options, if you will, from having the option of signing up through a third-party platform versus giving your email and going through all the steps, you really have more than two options. You really have five to six options given all the different things that we're discussing, all the different choices that people actually have to um, choose from. Three third parties, that's three different actions versus email versus going into the contact preferences and checking off boxes. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of different things that could possibly cause cognitive load in this situation. So what most companies should do, the KISS method, so as a little boy, as I was growing up, my dad always told me about this method of keeping, keeping it simple, stupid. Um, not to say that anyone's stupid um, by any means, but keeping it simple is definitely an art form. Um, it definitely needs to be um, shown to users in this visualization that I have um, accomplishing the same thing with less choices. So um, I have Google and Facebook. I don't necessarily have Apple or the long form. And then it's just that immediate CTA, just the click. But the initial question here is like, how do you get to this, this type of variation, this type of user experience? Um, what if other people prefer Apple versus another third-party platform? Um, but the context here is that I would leverage data to be able to do it, right? So I would see whether or not people would click on Google or Facebook or Apple. Um, and it's a certain learning process to be able to come to this state to create a variation like this. So how do you get there to be able to leverage that data? What does that leveraging data actually look like? So you have funnel analysis that actually VWO offers. They have a great service called um, Insights that you can utilize where you can, um, use all of these different things that I'm talking about here on the screen. Um, you have funnel analysis. Are people actually going on to that next path? Are they actually struggling where you see that bottleneck? If you see a certain percentage of drop-off, and don't get me wrong, a drop-off is always going to be there within the user journey, journey, but if it's actually really lower, you might have a very serious problem to where you can start to iterate and start to understand certain aspects and visual cues that you need to prioritize versus others. 
and you can set up different testing variations to be able to come to that certain variation that I made um, in the previous slide. You have session recordings where you can actually jump into the user's um, activity as they are scrolling through certain aspects and elements through your website. You have form analytics where you can actually start to quantify um, specific form fields and you can see what can it possibly be reduced and simplified. You have surveys. Um, this is definitely underutilized in my experience in CRO. Um, a lot of times there's assumption that's made instead of just, just directly asking um, users, what, what is the distracting element? What will actually get you to convert as a user? Unfortunately, as I stated, um, BWO offers all these different tools so you can start to understand and you can start to get towards that true north and start to convert users at a higher rate. So the law averages, um, high velocity testing. What actually, let's take a step back. What is actually the law averages and how, is, how does it relate to, to high velocity testing? The law averages state that simply you have to be able to have a numbers game take effect. Um, the more things that you essentially test with high velocity, um, the more outcome you actually have towards actually converting users. So this metric is pretty shocking to me, but um, pretty standard for all the different clients that I work with. 68.2% of companies, they don't perform more than four tests per month. And that may sound like a lot, but it's not. Um, and usually it's a lot of um, quantity, a lot of, um, a lot of quantity towards like saying like, oh, we launched four tests a month within the company um, and they think it's a lot, but those four tests that they launched that they think are quantity are not equivalent to that of quality. Um, so it doesn't necessarily matter in terms of like how many, uh, how many tests you run, um, but it does matter in terms of quality as well too. So I would say that high velocity testing also needs to be paired with quality as well too so you you have to take both of them in terms of being able to understand what you're going to actually put as your your output to maxim, maximize your actual conversion rate so if you launch uh, three tests but they're all of quality that's great and you actually have a high conversion rate that's good but i will implore you to actually do double do six always constantly be an iteration and really focusing on, on the quality of your test. Um, as a famous quote, my uh, favorite sports figure says, you miss 100% of shots you don't take. So high velocity testing um, with the addition of segmentation really helps you adhere to Hicks law, right? So that previous example I showed you where I made that more simplistic aspect towards a, that um, account sign up form, you really have a lot of different other things that you can start to test based on segmentation, right? Taking the fact that you can look at the user sessions, you can look at the funnel analysis, all the different things that you can leverage from VWO Insights, you can start to create differentiating aspects towards different segments. Segments of your audience meaning that of if you someone sees the Google and Facebook with that small uh, with the CTA to sign up with the variation I created, um, they may just prefer Google and Facebook and you just have one variation that speaks directly to that audience versus showing all the different form fields to an audience that's more than likely gonna be overloaded by certain options that they don't know necessarily where to start. 
So as it relates to high velocity testing, you should also pair it with segmentation towards your user, your users that are taking specific actions and don't necessarily try to speak to a crowd, but have a one-to-one -one conversation. And what can that look like? Multi-step form versus an email-only account um, creation. Collapsible form fields, again, eliminating distraction versus the static form fields. Uh, two third-party platforms to sign up versus uh, three with no email option. Or two third-party platforms to sign up versus email account creation only. There's all differentiated segments that you can apply towards testing, but the frequency of how much you test is actually going to make the difference in the quality of it as well, too. Daryl, uh, before we move on to the next slide, I see there are uh, there are actually two questions from the same person. So if you allow me to take that question now. So uh, the question is from uh, Chika. Uh, sorry if I didn't pronounce your name correctly, Chika, but I unmuted you so you could add more context to your question. Uh, you just have to unmute yourself from your side and then you can ask it directly. Okay, awesome. Can you hear me? Am I audible? Yes, Chika, yes. Okay, yes, yes, so... My question was, I've worked with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, mm -hmm. and so how can you get that kind of test velocity of four-plus tests in a month when their traffic isn't to that level, right? Like, so many of them just don't. So when, when I'm seeing 68%, I'm thinking that's actually, I don't think 68% of businesses have enough traffic to run, you know, that much, even if they wanted to. Um, yeah. And then adjacent to that would be, um, let's say you're a step ahead where you have the traffic to be able to do it, um, but your revenue might not be enough to take that many losses, right? So unless you're getting a lot of parity, if you're getting, if you're taking a lot of losses, that's hitting the bottom line with CRO. So um, yeah, I was just wondering how how having a high test velocity would be able to uh, work in those kind of real world scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of time, um, times when I've worked with clients, um, to be able to get that certain amount of traffic, um, it's primarily been on paid side to where you can control the levers to be able to have a certain amount of volume to actually quantify certain things towards um, hitting certain statistical significance with your tests. Um, and also to your point, as far as being able to, to uh, achieve that bottom line, um, it's really about investing more so in your SEO as well, because that's the only way that you're actually gonna get traffic over time. And yes, it's time consuming, but usually to answer your question, it's been on the paid side of things to be able to account for that. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. I just wonder like, would they have the budget for it, for like a small business? Right, so usually the, the businesses I, that I work with, they have the budget to be able to um, invest in doing the high velocity testing um, because I go and show different case studies, um, showing them how it can actually move the needle for them and have different um, data to back it up so they are willing to invest in doing it. Um, so if you don't necessarily have the budget from what I'm hearing um, to be able to invest in the high velocity testing, you can also leverage intelligence tools. Um, you can leverage what people are doing with certain variations of traffic that they're currently running. Um, and you can start to kind of leverage certain cues of what they're running versus what you can run yourself, but it would just take longer to actually get those more quantifiable metrics. So when I say intelligence tools, um, there are tools that can show you 
this person is running paid traffic to this landing page and maybe that uh, specific um, business that's running that traffic to that landing page and maybe they have PPC traffic or organic traffic, it coincides with your business model and you can take certain cues and you can set up different variations on your own without actually investing in, in the certain budget towards like, you know, initially doing it with the paid media efforts, but you're leveraging their data with all their different test iterations that they're doing actively and you're just applying it, but you just have to ha have to wait over time to where you either build up the budget to do invest in paid or build up your organic traffic. So I would really implore you to kind of leverage the different iteration process that people are doing um, from that insight that you can glean from different third-party tools, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And also at a small, yeah, sorry. Uh, what's speaking? Just plugging in my computer. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> So yeah, I just wanted to add one more point there as well uh, to Chika's question regarding the, uh, you know, uh, not having the required amount of project to invest in high velocity testing. But, uh, you know, if you look at from the alternative perspective, the, uh, the losses incurred by not testing will be much higher in the long term, right? Uh, right. And we've seen this time and again, uh, and we've seen this, uh, and I'm not saying this because I'm part of the company that sells this solution, but a lot of customers, big brands who come in, uh, they say that they've never tested it. They've never run A-B tests on their website before. And now they do not know who the customer is and what they really want, what the behavior looks like. So the, and they've been in the business for 20, 25 years, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, not 20, 25 years, that was an exaggeration, but uh, they, they, they have a you know, decade old uh, business uh, in e-commerce or BFSI or whatever sector. But, uh, you know, the, the crux is this, that uh, whatever budget you have, you have to start testing from today onwards. Uh, and the right time was yesterday, as they call it, right? So uh, just get on with testing uh, in the long term. It will get you more profit than you were expecting. So, so I mean, yeah, that's, that's a small point that I wanted to add. Definitely, and I echo the same sentiments. Um, by not testing, by not testing or allocating budget, no matter how small it may be, whether it be two hundred dollars to five hundred dollars, it's going to be that iteration process. And like I said, leverage other people that are actually spending those huge dollar amounts in um, a, a vertical that coincides with what you're offering, um, and just learn from them and just apply whatever you can towards organic, whether it be a small budget and just kind of leverage what they're already spending thousands, if not millions of dollars on to get to a certain point to where it's going to increase your odds for converting uh, users. Great. Um, any other questions before I move on? Nope. Okay. So as we were talking about segmentation, high velocity testing, um, the reducing certain aspects towards elements on your site, um, and in simplifying certain things, um, PI, um, it stands for potential importance and ease. So you can really, you really can't do CRO testing without specific framework. Um, there's also other frameworks, but I tend to stick to PI um, because it's the most straightforward. So when you have all these different things that as you're looking into the data and you're forming certain hypotheses um, with the potential, um, there's going to be 
technical constraints to actually actually implement what you're wanting to do with like the variation that you have to have to create. Um, whether you have um, a front end dev or in dev um, within your organization um, to create that experience, um, I would label that as a potential because it's going to be um, more of a time process investment in actually doing it. So potentially you can run that test versus that of importance. Um, what do you actually see within the data that is immediate, that needs to be prioritized, that have a lower level of effort versus the potential category that has a higher level of effort to actually implement? And then ease, um, what can you do within the next five to 10 minutes, right? That you can just simply do yourself. So it's a way of categorizing certain aspects towards moving the needle. And as you can see, um, and please let me know if you would like this CSV file and I can send it to you to utilize for your own business. Um, you have a specific URL where you're going to be testing certain things on the site um, with the statuses, whether it's proposed or it's being quality assured or it's set live, um, what main metric you're going to track, um, what's the page location in terms of like the homepage or your PDP, your product description page, if you're an e-commerce based business, what's the generalized concept. And then there's quantifiable metric towards a formula that grades it on a one to five scale based on the measurable, uh, measurable uh, business value, um, essentially how impactful it can be for your organization. The technical effort, um, again, talking to your stakeholders within your initial company um, and getting that number. And then it spits out that prioritization um, where you can actually start to see what you need to prioritize to move forward. Uh, with that iterative testing towards getting people to convert at a higher rate. Thank you, Daryl, for these fantastic insights about Hicks Law. Also, thank you, dear listener, for sticking with us throughout this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we're also keen to see how you implement the ideas shared by Daryl. Don't forget to share this episode with someone who might find it useful, and check out the other interesting conversations that we've had with industry experts. Also, hit the follow button so that you never miss out on an episode from Behind Growth Scenes. That's all for this one. See you in the next episode. Until then, goodbye, take care, and always be testing.